Good morning. Um, I am amazed, perplexed, and a bit disturbed. There exists a really valuable tool that could transform our society from this chaotic jumble of conflicting values and beliefs into a beautiful garden of universal love and connection, if only people knew more about it. Tuning in to our common societal messages, we hear the words bandied about, spiritual development, spiritual maturity, transformation. But what do these really mean? And what are those spiritual but not religious people really about? In some quarters, we hear whispers about a society-wide transformation taking place, hints that we humans are just on the threshold of another major evolutionary leap. This one not involving physical changes so much, but rather advancements in consciousness. Most of us coming to a church like this one may probably have some idea what such a transformation might be about. But how many could spell out just what it would consist of or exactly how it might happen? How many have a vision of the kind of world we could live in if only the values of spiritual maturity were acknowledged by conventional society and were explicitly taught to our children? There are plenty of people writing and lecturing on the topic of spirituality itself. My interest is in the spiritual development process. It is through understanding the process of how a person gets beyond conventional religious belief and advances to a post-religious type of faith that will help bring about this transformation. Common steps along the typical spiritual journey have been laid out for us by plenty of gurus and mystics, both ancient mystics and modern-day mystics. But there are also credentialed academics who have researched the faith development process. And their findings pretty much correlate with the work of the ancient mystics, with the modern-day gurus, uh, with the perennial wisdom traditions, and even with some of the newer findings of science. Yet the steps in the spiritual development process remain very poorly articulated in our society. Because this wisdom is not explicitly recognized in our culture, we still have preachers and pundits expounding dogmatic, literal beliefs um, about biblical inerrancy, about the superiority of one particular religion over all the others, and fear-based hellfire and brimstone admonishments that come from the least developed spiritual levels. One reason so few people can recognize the steps in the spiritual development process is that each source, each expert, has expressed it using different terminologies. In my current book, Faith Beyond Belief, and they said it was okay if I put this up here, uh, Faith Beyond Belief, um, I tried to compare and contrast just a few of these different spiritual development systems. But today I want to refer to just one set. We're going to focus on the concept of post-religiosity as it might differ from conventional religiosity. In a post-religious faith, a person <clears throat> has challenged herself to grow out of the comforts of a fixed conventional belief system, the stasis of traditional religiosity, and the divisiveness of denominational 
triumphalism. And today I want to focus on two particular steps in the spiritual journey that are most poorly articulated in the spiritual world and most cryptically described in the faith development literature. It is the lack of boldness, the lack of willingness to clearly state what these two steps consist of that keeps the conventional world from catching on to this process. Many of us here in this sanctuary may have been born into a more literal or more conventional belief system evolving belief in a completely separate supreme being and such belief systems often attribute to this being many of our own human frailties, anger, jealousy, and even vindictiveness. Many of us in a church like this one may have decided that that type of God as a separate being didn't fully make sense for us. And we may have arrived at this conclusion as a result of noticing that something the conventional church taught didn't fully stand up to reason. The first four stories in my book give examples of the ways this might happen. In one case, Kevin, a veterinarian in Canada who had been brought up Catholic, got into a discussion with his parish priest about whether animals have a soul. When the parish priest insisted they do not have a soul, Kevin could not reconcile this with his knowledge of evolution. If man is descended from animals, he asked himself, at what evolutionary point exactly would he have started having a soul, and why? From that single logical discrepancy, over time this man's whole traditional belief system came tumbling down. If Kevin now calls himself an atheist, he would be a post-religious atheist, a reasoned, principled, effective person who has learned that he can trust his own conscience to lead him to the right decisions, and he just happens to have boldly reasoned himself out of the beliefs that are held by the rest of his tribe. This is quite a different thing from the chaotic and unprincipled pre-religious atheists that our conventional world seems to fear so much. This step of questioning the literal dictates of religious authority is actually more mature personally and spiritually than the accept everything the Bible or the minister says mentality that forms most of conventional religiosity. It is an important step in the spiritual development process, and yet it is rarely discussed and almost never recommended. But surely the spiritual development process does not want to lead people into literal atheism or skepticism and leave them there permanently devoid of any sense of spiritual connection. If spiritual growth leads us out of conventional belief, there must be something more to spiritual maturity than explicit atheism. There must be another step. Paul Ricoeur was a French philosopher who lived during the last century, and he had good terminology to articulate this second step. Um, to back up, Ricoeur, R-I-C-O-E-U-R. Ricoeur would have referred to conventional religiosity as a first naivete. This is what we might have called the pre-critical belief system that our veterinarian Kevin held before he started questioning whether animals have a soul. He would have been in the first naivete. And for reasons that should be obvious, just accepting uncritically everything the Bible or your preacher tells you 
would indicate a certain naivete, an openness to the easy explanations handed out by the outer religious authorities. Ricoeur then describes a, the questioning step, like the one that Kevin took, as a critical distance. Here a person distances himself from the given truths accepted by the rest of his tribe. And he does this through a process of critically analyzing some of those truths and deciding for himself what he can accept and what he can't. And this step is based on a solid trust in the human reasoning process and also in the scientific method as a way of arriving at truth. Now, if a person keeps an open mind and keeps on questioning, she may move beyond the critical distance and may arrive at what Ricoeur called a second naivete. So Ricoeur had two post-religious stages, the critical distance and a second naivete. If we're going to describe a mature post-religious faith as a naivete, we're implying that there's something important a person must open up to in this type of faith, to open up and become naive again. Something must be given up, and that would be the sense of certainty, the sense that the human reasoning process supplies ultimate answers, and the sense that our everyday reality is the only reality there is. Sometimes a person needs to stretch a little bit beyond the comfortable for the sake of truth. Now, having grown beyond the simplistic explanations about who created us and where we're going after we die from the first naivete, and having given up the certainty we held in the critical distance that all the answers will come from human reason and science, in a second naivete, a person is going to give up the need for answers altogether. Instead, they're going to open themselves up to the mysteries of our existence. Some of you may know that your associate minister, Lilia Cuervo, contributed one of the stories to my book, Faith Beyond Belief. And while Kevin's story was in a group of four examples of the critical distance or the questioning step, Lilia's story was in a different part of the book. Hers was one of the six second naivete stories, or what I called examples of post-critical faith. After a traditionally Catholic childhood, Lily wound up in the critical distance for a lot of her young adulthood. But then it was exposure to the Unitarian Universalist Church that jump-started her emergence into a second naivete. And Lily's story illustrates three of the many important factors that are present in a spiritual maturity. First, in the Unitarian Universalist Church, Lily had to adjust to something that had been unheard of in the Catholic Church of her upbringing, women ministers. And then, standing right beside her in that church would be gay people and transgender people and even pagans. So Lily was challenged to include some unlikely types of people into the group she felt herself a part of. She had to expand her worldview to include a broader spectrum of mankind. This broadening of worldview is a trait typical in the move to post-religiosity or spiritual maturity. If this broader worldview, the idea that complete inclusiveness is a goodness value, could only be more explicitly taught to our children, people wouldn't have to grow out of their prejudices. They wouldn't have any to begin with. As a second aspect of her entry into a second naivete, Lilia had to learn to accept full 
responsibility for her beliefs. In the Catholic Church of her upbringing, Lily had been led to believe only what the church fathers taught was true. But as long as a person remains dependent upon outer authorities to dispense truth, they remain in a spiritual childhood. And that applies to most in traditional religion. Coming to accept the astounding level of personal responsibility involved in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning is a requirement in a post-religious or mature spiritual faith. But the third and most interesting, to say nothing of counterintuitive facet of Lilia's second naivete, is an opening up to something of the conventional religious world completely ignores, and that's that still small voice that speaks to us from somewhere in our heart, an inner authority, inner-based authority that we have no idea of exactly where it comes from. Dr. James Fowler, another of the contributors to what I have called spiritual development theory, has some marvelous wording to describe this opening, this form of naivete. He said, the person ready for transition to a second naivete finds him or herself attending to what may feel like anarchic and disturbing inner voices. The person opens up to unconscious factors or the voices of her deeper self. Now, Lily's story contains several examples of these disturbing and anarchic inner voices, but the most relevant of these for people here in this congregation is one that occurred in 1990. During a week-long church district leadership school from out of nowhere, Lilia heard a most anarchic and most disturbing inner voice say to her, if worship services can move people the way we have been moved this week, I want to do this for the rest of my life. What was this? If this call to ministry was real, it would mean Lilia had to give up her good job, leave her home, and move far away. In short, pursue a whole different life than the one she had planned. If the call was real, she would have to come to trust that that voice was not just some trick her brain was playing. And she would have to trust that her personal resources would carry her through the staggering demands of that call. Was she really ready to give up her current comforts in the service of the divine will? Or was this plan just madness? Eventually, Lilia was able to commit to trusting these voices. Leaping forward into an uncertain future, she set off to attend the school for the ministry. And that is how Reverend Lilia Cuervo came to be here to serve this congregation. Obviously, not many of us are called into the ministry. But I believe that most of us with reasonable intelligence, good educations, and relatively productive lives are called to devote ourselves to something bigger than our own personal salvation in some dubious afterlife, something bigger than the goals of conventional religiosity. We are called beyond the comforts of an impersonal cookbook-style belief system toward a form of faith that is more personal, more open, more fluid, more creative, and more demanding than traditional organized religion. And that post-religious faith will challenge us to expand our worldview to include everyone and everything in creation. Equality, peace, social action, social justice, animal rights, 
and ecology will be our buzzwords. Competition, profits, corporate structures, and winning, not quite as much. And that post-religious faith will hold us personally responsible for our moral choices and for choosing beliefs that are coherent with our human reasoning abilities and with the findings of science. But it will also come to trust in the wisdom of connections we cannot see through our everyday consensus reality. And if we are open to it, that post-religious faith may also just include some anarchic and disturbing inner voices. And these voices will call us beyond our everyday reality of interest rates and dirty dishes toward recognition of the beauty, the connections, and the mysteries of our existence. But beware, the voices may also call us to something other than the life we have planned. If we are called to serve, it will be to the benefit of something greater than ourselves and our own little desires. This form of service may not be one that provides us with a Maserati and a McMansion, but it will be one that makes the very best possible use of our own individual gifts and talents, and will afford the most authentic type of personal fulfillment. Moreover, it will be something that serves an emerging paradigm of universal inclusiveness, universal connection, and universal love. Too few people ever find their way to spiritual maturity on their own. Far too many of our societal messages are designed to keep people from realizing their own spiritual power. If we want to allow this society-wide transformation to occur, more of us need to study the process. Our challenge in this postmodern world will be to rise above the limitations of conventional religiosity and above the lure of spiritual materialism. Plenty of experts have shown the way. The well-described but completely individualized spiritual development process that they have laid out points us toward a post-religious faith. It teaches us to recognize and to trust those inner voices that call to us from a collective field of consciousness connecting all earthly creatures to one another and to our spiritual reality as well. Thank you.